Finger guns. No? No? No. That didn't work? Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Sweet Tea and D&D episode 16. Happy Easter yeah. for those who celebrate. Or springtime, Astara, or whatever other holidays are around this time. We're so happy it's spring. It's beautiful here in Texas. Other than At least today. Tornadoes <laughs> from the other day. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be Hope that everyone's way. safe. Right. right. Um. All right. Oh. Welcome to Sweet Tea and D&D, where we discuss legends of lore. <laughs> because I didn't finish the rest oh, of okay, it. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Stop interrupting me. Um, <laughs> where we discuss the legends of and lore behind D&D and our own tomfoolery. as Our shenanigans. Um, first up today, I'm going to talk about goblins. Gooblins. Gooblins. Gerblins. And so, I didn't know, goblins fall under the goblinoid category, which includes three different monsters that I'm only going to talk about one. Um, it's bugbears, hobgoblins, and goblins. So, totally didn't know that, but whatever. Um, so depending on what book you have, I'm coming out of two books. I'm coming out of the Monster Manual on page 166, and I'm going to discuss the goblin and the goblin boss. There's not too many differences, but it's enough to be notable, so I'll go over both of those. And then if you want a crop of information about goblins you can go to volo's guide to monsters starting on page 40 and it gives you a crap ton of information about more about more about their communities how they live together their social structures and classes and stuff like that um the hierarchy of goblins if you will and i'll get into a little bit of that first of all but first i will do the goblin stats and the goblin boss and describe to zach what goblins look like so he can draw it so okay so the picture in the monster manual looks nothing like a goblin i think of in my head it is it's a small humanoid creature it has more human-esque skin color like you or me like our pasty colors um inky black hair it has black nails and toenails it looks kind of buff in this picture with an enormous schnoz it's got kind of a creepy horn like nose hmm. like a gargoyle or something okay very long ears it look like elf ears but they're they look like they were more evil well no they look like they were almost turned into beef jerky they're a little shriveled looking at the at the ends um bones in the hair you know ragtag uh, armor and a club and evil Spock eyebrows. I don't know. <laughs> evil Spock eyebrows. You know, the, the Vulcan eyebrows that kind of come in. Right. Don't look at the picture. Don't cheat. I'm trying to draw. I'm trying. I gotta, you're trying to cheat is what you're trying to do. I can't fucking draw. Because you're a cheater, cheater. Um, you should learn this phrase. It says, Briark. <laughs> what, what does that translate into, oh, goblin speaker? We surrender. <laughs> So a goblin, just your standard run-of-the-mill goblin, is a small humanoid goblinoid neutral evil. I don't know why. Their armor class is 15, their hit points are 7 up to 12, their speed is 30, they have the crappiest stats that you'll ever find. Their strength is 8, a dex of 14, their con and intelligence are 10, their wisdom and charisma are eight. 
their skills, they only have a stealth, a plus six to stealth. Their senses are dark vision, and they have a passive perception of nine. Ooh, so good at spotting things. It's it's amazing because if you look into the stuff in Volos, they talk about how they love to put in traps and things to like capture people. But if you set a trap for a goblin, they're gonna fall into it. <laughs> they have no passive perception. Um, they speak common in goblin, and they're a quarter challenge rating. They're only worth fifty XP. Um, they have an ability called Nimble Escape. The goblin can take the disengage or hide action as a bonus action on each of his turns. Pretty nifty if they need to make a quick getaway because they're so, so, so squishy. Um, they have two actions. They can do scimitar attack, melee weapon attack, plus four to hit, reach of five feet, one target. Talk into the microphone. They <laughs> in their actions, they can do a scimitar attack. It's a melee weapon attack with a plus four to hit, a reach of five feet. One target, and on a hit, they do five up to eight slashing damage. Then they have a short bow attack. That's, of course, a ranged weapon attack, plus four to hit. Um, the range on is 80 to 320 feet. One target, on a hit, they do five or up to eight piercing damage. The goblin boss is just a tiny bit different. Um, it's still a small humanoid, all that jazz. The armor class goes up by two. There is 17. Their hit points go from 21 up to 36. Speed is the same. Their strength is 10, a dex of 14, con and intelligence of 10, a wisdom of 8, and the charisma gets bumped up to 10. On their skills, it's still only stealth with a plus 6. Dark vision um, up to 60 feet. Still that passive perception of 9. Language is common in Goblin. Their CR is one, though. So they're a little bit more meaty than your run-of-the-mill goblin, but not by a lot. What? I what are you laughing about? something so shitty. It's oh, just... I can't wait. Beef jerky ears. Beef jerky ears. Keep that in mind. Oh, goodness. <sighs> yeah. Well, I'll have to show you, because this is what it looks like. It looks like someone started drying the ears out and was like, nah, I'm going to put them on his face. Um, So the goblin boss gets a multi-attack. They make two attacks. With its scimitar, the second attack has disadvantage. So, that is something I would probably forget, so you guys remember it. it wait, its second attack is always at disadvantage? That's what it says. Huh. Second attack at disadvantage. Okay, so that makes it a lower level, because then you would just give it a, like essentially a level 5 skill, which is extra attack. So you got to weaken it a little bit. Yeah, because they're still only a CR1. Um, but it's the same attack with all the same damage it's the scimitar attack and they get a javelin instead of a short bow the javelin is melee or ranged plus two to hit reach of five feet or if they throw it a range of 30 to 120 one target on a hit it does three or 1d6 piercing damage the goblin boss also has a reaction that is out of this world i love it they can redirect attack so when when a creature the goblin can see targets it with an attack, the goblin chooses another goblin within five feet of it. The two goblins swap places, and the chosen goblin becomes the target instead. Damn. So it just goes, nope. And just, Not it. Push. And just swips places with somebody. <laughs> That's hysterical. It's like, not today, man. And just nopes out of there, sacrificing one of its little goblin people instead. Okay, so that's their 
their stat block. They have a lot of things going on, though. Apparently, unbeknownst to me, goblins just have this whole culture that I wasn't aware of. But they're just, you know, as much as I love um, not in critical role, most goblins are not like that. They are evil, nasty little things. They belong to the goblinoid family. They have hobgoblins and bugbears as their, like, distant cousins. They are motivated by greed and malice. They celebrate when they have the upper hand and when, like, things are going their way. The... I just gave it mermaid hips. I don't know why. Oh, my gosh. Goblins are ruled by the strongest or smartest among them, which says a lot. A goblin boss might command a single lair, while a goblin king or queen, who is nothing more than a glorified goblin boss, rules hundreds of goblins spreading out among multiple lairs to ensure the tribe's survival. Goblin bosses are easily ousted, and many goblin tribes are taken over by hobgoblin warlords or bugbear chiefs. So, they... They don't command a lot of respect among their their kind. They're just even in D and D campaigns as a DM when when I'm working with goblins, they're disposable. They're just they're party fodder, just to up XP and make an encounter most of the time. I don't know of a situation when I would really use all the information that there is about them. They do have challenging layers, like I said before. They like to met, they like to have traps. They like to have um, like arrow holes just to shoot and you know fuck up with you fuck up your party and stuff um they have narrow tunnels and bolt holes that human-sized creatures can't navigate but which goblins can crawl through with ease allowing them to flee or to circle around and surprise their enemies they keep and breed rats and wolves the rats they use as companions the wolves they tend to ride that's <laughs> what it says majestic I bet it is. They have their gross black hair just trailing behind them in the breeze. Um, oh, I need to add hair. You're right. Good call. Good call. They sleep during the day underground and attack at night. And this is where... Yes. This is where the two books, Volos and the Mosh Manual, they become a little convoluted. It says they were are worshippers of Maglubiet. <laughs> in, I know, right? In the monster manual, they said they worship Maglubi, Maglubi yet, the mighty one, the lord of depths and darkness, is the greater god of goblinoids. They envision him as an 11 foot tall, battle scarred goblin with black skin and fire erupting from its eyes. And he's not worshipped because they love him, but because they fear him. But none of them really want to die and join his ranks because he's hella fucking scary. But then in Volos, it brings in a new deity and says, no, this guy is the worst guy of all. This is the guy that everybody should fear. And his name is Kurgorbiag. Your guess is as good as mine. I have no fucking clue. Kurgorbiag, because there's a lot of letters in there. All the consonants that (laughs) it's like somebody tried to name an Icelandic mountain after him. It feels like there should, there should be a spelling thing like in the dictionary beside it. Yes. Please read Volos. There's so much in here. If you are making a goblin-centered thing, this would be the book to go to. Volo apparently spent years amongst the goblins and learned their ways while he was traveling around writing his book. 
Which, side note, I'm doing a campaign where Volo is a character in it, and every single one of my characters bashes Volo and this. Volo is a piece book. of shit. His own book. Read the disclaimer in the front of that book right now. I mean, I know what it says, but they all have a disclaimer in the front of them. Yeah, but this one trashes the person who made it. The disclaimer. And Volo says, Wizards of the Coast does not vouch for, guarantee, or provide any promise regarding the validity of the information provided in this volume by Volo Thamp Gedarm. Gedarm. Sorry. Gedarp, I think it's really This weird. is tiny little print, and I'm reading it far away. <laughs> Read it with your special eyes, Zach. <laughs> do not trust Volo. Do not go on quests offered by Volo. Do not listen to Volo. Avoid being seen with him for risk of guilt by association. If Volo appears in your campaign, your DM is undoubtedly trying to kill your character in a manner that can be blamed on your own actions. The DM is probably trying to do that anyway, but with Volo's appearance, you know for sure. We're not convinced that Elminster's commentary is always that trustworthy either, and he turned us into flumps the last time we mentioned him in one of these disclaimers. Aww. So, whatever. You should still not be such a dick to the guy. <laughs> Anyway, it's going to be bullshit. Fuck it. Make your own lore about it. I'm not going to read any more but you have to read that disclaimer. But it does talk about them. It says that they're broken up into four social classes. Um, and that, like most races, the people who are on top are shitty the people on the bottom. And the people on the bottom always want to move up. Magic is a thing that doesn't really happen with goblins. But when it does, people freak the fuck out. And they usually name them the king. Ooh. So if one of them, like, steals the magic item, they officially are, like, higher level, right? Well, it says if they attune to it. Because their intelligence is so low, they may not get to. These poor little idiots. I wondered, though, I thought about if I was going to really go into goblins and use the information of Volo's guides to monsters. Guys, please read it. There's just so much. It's, like, four or five pages of stuff. And I didn't want to just read it to you guys. But and I believe it also gives you a layer for them as well. It gives well. you layers. It talks about what happens around them. It talks about in depth about the bugbears and about hobgoblins as well and how they all interact with each other and what to do if they encounter each other they're all that stuff but i was thinking if i was going to make a more goblin centric plot line i would want one of the goblins to get like um what is it the helm of intelligence or the oh intellect oh i own gives you stones that boost your intelligence no I'm, i mean the it's like a crown or a hat or something you can get it's a magic item and it ups it to like 19 yeah, I one of uh, it's the uh, circle of intellect. Yeah, that one. Give him that up as intellect, and just give him some magic items. Like that's what I would have him rule with. He would just be so powerful because he's gotten smart enough through a magic item to get other magic items and to use them effectively. Yeah, because he'd be able to attune at that point. Yeah. yeah, and then they wouldn't get run over by bigger goblinoids like bugbears or hobgoblins. They would run the run themselves and the thing is is that there's so many goblins yes they're only one eighth challenge rating but if you put enough of them together they are kind of like uh wolf packs they get mob tactics they get mob tactics fucks you up um sort of like pack tactics but then if they ride wolves you have to kill the wolf too and the wolves use pack tactics so given large enough numbers they can really be a challenge even for the strongest party so remember that Know that, like I read just now in Vol's Guide to Monsters, that you are free to change this up in whatever way you please. 
you can really roll with it because goblins are kind of a blank slate. They have baseline abilities that are pretty cool. Bump that stuff up with some magic items and boom, there you go. I've used goblins. I mean, I think everyone used goblins, especially in lower level. Yeah, they're very Lower level times. Goblins just come up in the middle of the night and just start, you know. Fucking with your shit. Fucking with the shit. They start taking stuff or especially my favorite one is if the party's asleep outside to come in and like, oh, someone would rolled poorly on their perception check during their watch and goblins come in and start trying to loot the party or trying to kidnap a weak character or steal a horse or anything like that. And then you they have a goblin encounter. I think the last time I used it was not too long ago in a dungeon in the campaign that I'm running. Um, and they just had to take out a couple of goblins. You can throw them anywhere. Two goblins, 100 goblins, 10,000 goblins. Take your pick. <laughs> and they're all ready to die anyways. So They are fodder for your characters. Just throw them at them. Pretty much, yeah. They're easy to kill. They're not always easy to kill. I believe we almost died in that cave fighting them. So well, uh, and that the- wasn't the fault of the goblins. That was the fault of the intellect devourer and psionically, the player. Psionically blasting the shit out of us. I didn't appreciate being zapped. <laughs> So I'm going to talk about the Archmage. The Archmage is found in the Monster Manual on page 342. Its description is kind of vague as it can be a medium humanoid of any race as well as any alignment. Uh, For its flavor text, which is two paragraphs, Archmages are powerful and usually quite old. Spellcasters dedicated to study the arcane arts. Benevolent ones counsel kings and queens while evil ones rule as tyrants and pursue lichdom. Those who are neither good nor evil sequester themselves in remote towers and practice their magic without interruption. Did you say pursue lichdom? Yeah. Trying to become a lich. Aren't those, like, gross? (laughs) (laughs) I guess, but it's essentially immortal. But I thought eventually a lich can die. Like, don't... A A lich's goal is to store their soul in a phylactery. It's very similar to, like, Voldemort, where he's like, oh, I have seven different phylacteries, essentially. And until you take out all of them, I can keep coming back. Ew. So a lich is, if you kill it, it just goes back to its phylactery and it's fine. Until you destroy its phylactery, you can't do anything about it. Phylactery. 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 Phil. Phil Actory. Phil Lacks Ackery. Ackery. Yes. Phil Lacks Ackery. <laughs> so an archmage typically has one or more apprentice mages, and an archmage abodes has numerous magical wards and guardians to discourage interlopers i think i had y'all fighting an archmage at one point and you ended up getting a shield guardian out of it sean got a shield guardian out of it oh god that shield guardian was so fucked up i think i killed it on a demi plane yep i let it go i was like Oop, you didn't tell it was me in it was in it. the prison dinghy and we couldn't take it with us yep it was too hard to get through mm-hmm. but i, got I wanted there. it gone because they were already overpowered to combat everything and it was a one-off or intentionally supposed to be a one-off. I don't know why you're eating those shitty cookies still. Shut up. I have a problem. <laughs> They're just bad. I regret making them. Okay, so an archmage has an armor class of 12, which jumps up to 15 with mage armor. It has hit points of 99 and a maximum of 8d8, excuse me, 18d8 plus 8. A lot. They have a speed of 30 feet. 
Uh, they have a plus zero to strength, plus two to dex, plus one to con, plus five to intelligence. They smart as fuck. Plus two to wisdom and a plus three to charisma. They would know how many hit points they have. They would be able to do that math on the top <laughs> of their head. But you know what? I have a plus zero to intelligence. So I'm tired. That's not true. Saving throw. Intelligence plus nine. Wisdom plus six. So uh, skills include arcana at a plus 13 and a history of plus 13. They're smart. Uh, they have damage from spells. Sorry, damage resistance, damage from spells, non-magical bludgeoning and piercing and slashing. This comes only from the spell Stone Skin, which they cast on themselves. So they have a passive perception of 12. They know any six languages of your choice. Damn. Six fucking... They could speak circles around you. And they have a CR of 12. Do they have any languages already in there or do you pick all six of them so because you can pick the medium humanoid i would say they oh, would yeah. get whatever That's race true. they get plus whatever ones come with I race not that. waste <laughs> uh, so they are magic resistant has advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects because it's badass so damage from spells non-magical bludgeoning piercing and slashing are all halved as long as they have stone skin on now the Archmage is a 18th level caster, which makes it a badass. It has a spell save of DC of 17 and a plus 9 to hit with spell attacks. They can cast Disguise Self and Invisibility at will. Yeah. Just invis- Invisibility, not Greater Not Greater Invisibility, Standard Invisibility. But it's still an action to do, so they would be able to not... They could still hide and do a bunch of things without activating it. Or but it doesn't take a spell slot, so that's pretty badass. That is very badass. So, their cantrips include Firebolt, Light, made Mage Hand, Prestidigitation, and Shocking Grass. Firebolt alone at an 18th level caster is 40-10 on a hit. And they have a plus 9 to hit. So they're going to hurt when they hit. Uh, first slots, they have 4. They have Detect Magic, Identify, Mage Armor, and Magic Missile. Second level, they have three, Detect Thoughts, Mirror Image, Misty Step. Third level, three slots, Counterspell, Fly, and Lightning Bolt. Fourth is three slots, Banishment, Fire Shield, and Stone Skin. Fifth level, they have three slots, Cone of Cold, Scrying, and Wall of Force. Uh, Sixth, they have one slot, Glob. Globe of Invulnerability. I'm going to talk about that one in a second. Teleport, Mind Blank, and Time Stop. So there's a special note here that's got an asterisk that says these are cast before combat begins. That includes mage armor. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought that was a that was regarding everything you had just said, not what you were going oh, to not say. Oh, not yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so the, these are specifically ones that are cast right when everything gets started. So, so when you say like roll initiative, these would happen. These would automatically be cast, or you would assume they'd be cast. Let's see, cast on itself before combat. So you're assuming they're active through combat. So that's Mage Armor, which bumps its AC to 15. Stone Skin, which provides uh, resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing. And then it also casts Mind Blink. This prevents it from being... Well, it shields the mind from divination spells and anything like that. And it also convinces... Or it also can prevent modify memory. It can also prevent any spells from the wish spell that modifies memory as well. Even if you cast it at higher level. Yeah. Even a wish spell? A wish spell is considered immune. No, it's on itself. On itself, yes. Hmm. That's... So you can't wow. wish it out of existence. I mean, you could as long as it's not modifying its memory. That's about it. I just want you dead. I don't care if you remember it or not. Yeah. So... <laughs> Their skill and actions include a dagger, which you know <laughs> they're super good at right now. So, Stabby. yeah, plus six to hit, reach of five feet. Uh, they do 1d4 plus two piercing damage. They're going to get you. 
So I'm gonna get you. <laughs> in terms of spell power, these things will fuck you up. For example, time stop. Do you know what time stop does? I don't. <laughs> time stop, I believe it's one D four plus one rounds. So you stop time for everything but you for one D four rounds. As long as you don't harm another creature in that time, it will remain. You cannot remove yourself more than a thousand feet from the area you cast it in. Or it or it ends. Yeah. So you can essentially cast a bunch of stuff on yourself. You can chuck some potions that are nearby. Or, for example, this character has teleport, so they could just... move a thousand feet to the left. Yeah, teleport (laughs) anywhere else. Yeah, just to the left that way. So they time stop, and that means they can't really attack, but the time is frozen for them, or for you, while this person gets to move around. So I see it as kind of a fun way to, like, set up, like, oop, I gotta put this vial of acid over your head pouring out. Here's some alchemical so fire So it kind of goes into, like, Quicksilver for That's 1d4 what I was rounds. Thinking, yeah. <laughs> Quicksilver, time stop slowdown of 1d4 rounds, misdirecting bullets and all sorts of shit. You just turn everybody toward each other. Mm-hmm. Whoops. <laughs> so is it only, is it, is it blah, blah, blah. you have to harm them? For it to stop them. Or is it touch them? Let me verify. I believe it's harm. I think you can touch them. You just can't harm them. So let me double check real quick. Today's episode is fueled by McAllister's tea. (laughs) (laughs) Jingle, jingle, jingle. (laughs) Swirly, swirly, swirly. (laughs) So time stop is a ninth level spell. Uh, You briefly stop the flow of time for everyone but yourself. No time passes for other creatures while you take 1d4 plus 1 turns in a row. During which you can use actions and move as normal. This spell ends if one of the actions you use during the period or any effect that you create during this period affects a creature other than you or an object being worn or carried by someone other than you. In addition, the spell ends if you move or place more. So let's see. Um, that you create during this effect period effects on a creature other than you or an object being worn or carried by someone other than you. So you can't take anything off of them. Can't take anything off, but you, you can leave stuff above them. can't put anything on them. But you can leave stuff above them. Yeah. You can mess with the space around them, and you can physically touch them. So I'm yes. wondering if you could, like, do that. Like, say, you know, whatever the hell. Like, if the party comes in, and they're, of course, all attacking the same person. Mm-hmm. If you could do that and, like, stop time and then literally just eek, 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 and turn them to face each yep. other. <laughs> That'd be funny. So here's something you can do with the spell, and you would have to swap something else out in place. So instead of teleport, this caster could have delayed fireball. A beam of yellow light flashes from the, your pointed finger, then condenses to linger in a chosen point within range a glowing beam of a, as a glowing beam for the duration. When the spell ends, either because your concentration is broken or because you decided to end, the beam blossoms into a low roar into an explosion of flame. That spreads around corners. Each creature in 20 feet radius uh, sphere centered on that point must make a dexterity saving throw. A creature takes fire damage equal to the total accumulated damage on the failed save. As half as much damage on a successful one and the spell's base damage is 12d6. If at the end of your turn the beat has not yet detonated, the damage increases by 1d6. If the glowing bead is touched before the interval has expired, the creature touching it must make a dexterity saving throw. On a failed save, the spell ends immediately, causing the bead to erupt in flame. On a successful save, the creature can throw the bead up to 40 feet. Uh, when it strikes the creature or a solid object, the spell ends and the bead explodes. The fire-damaged object in the area ignites flammable objects and are worn or carried. So, imagine you're just like, I'm going to put this bead 
right here in the middle. And you rolled 1d4 plus 1. Five rounds. And it has no cap as long as it's held. You just have to maintain concentration. So you could leave this delayed blast fireball for a total of five rounds in the center, doing a total of 17d6 damage. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. And then you can move a thousand feet away. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, yeah, because you only have to concentrate. As long as you're concentrating on the spell while doing other things, yeah. it's building As up. long as you don't move out of the spells, that spell's radius, then you mm-hmm. should be fine. You're fucked. So, fun times for that. Think about that. It can last for one minute. That is the limitation. So it can last for 10 rounds, so it will gain 10d6 if you hold it for its entire time. A total of 22d6. Guys, someone needs to do this and then tell us how it went. <laughs> Good luck. Kill your party. I yes. mean, don't, but D-P-K. I mean, do it. TPK. So it also has teleport, meaning it can just be like, bah. It can also teleport objects with that spell up to 10 feet. Oh, nice. A globe of invulnerability. This one's fun. So, for those not familiar with the spell, it's a 10-foot sphere around you. Cancels all 5th level spells and below. Mm. So not only do they have advantage on saves against them, damage from spells is halved already because they're amazing. They can cancel out 5th level and lower spells. This includes, say you're casting um, Lightning Bolt, I think is a 3rd level spell. I'm not sure off the top of my head. If you cast that at 5th level, just because it was designed as a 3rd level, it cancels that as well. Even if you cast it in higher level slots, it doesn't matter. It will fall. Hmm. So you got that. It does. It is immovable, though, so you cannot leave that space in that time. And it only blocks spells, not melee combat or ranged weapons. <laughs> Shoot him! Yep, pretty much. But they get half damage if they have stone skin, which they do at the beginning of the race. Or at the beginning of the level. Um, other than that... Encounter. He means encounter. encounter. That's what I meant. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've been playing <laughs> video games. The only thing I think of that would be beneficial, but I believe is also a um, concentration spell, is called Fire Shield. It is not concentration, so fuck it. Cast it whenever you want. It lasts for 10 minutes. And ten thin, wispy flames wreathe your body from the duration, shedding bright light in a 10-foot radius and dim light in an additional 10 feet. You can end the spell early as an action if you so choose. The pl- flames provide a warm shield or a chill shield as you choose. The warm shield grants you resistance to cold damage. The chill shield grants you resistance to fire damage. Nice. In addition, whenever a creature within five feet of you hits it with a melee attack, the shield erupts with flame. The attacker takes 2d8 fire damage or on a worm shield or 2d8 cold damage. So you can just cast that on yourself in one of the rounds of combat and essentially just hold yourself in an invulnerable dome. Any melee that strikes you within five feet produces 2d8 fire or cold damage. Um, yeah, what you got? No, I'm just imagining this scenario. How fucked you head. are? Yeah. 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 I believe I've used an Archmage once, and I want to say I didn't go unprepared for it. I've never had the pleasure, but it sounds like a blast. <laughs> yes, but remember, they can be any alignment. So some of them are good, some of them have evil. So that's going to come will up see in, in, doodles. Our, in our dungeon doodles. Yes. So Story time. Story time. So uh, we're going to talk about metagaming today. Metagaming. Every DM's favorite subject. Yeah. So I've had issues with metagaming uh, where players would use outside information that I've said. Like in a one-off, I'd be like, oh, congratulations, you've accomplished this mission. This guy was going to kick your ass. And I'll explain like what's going on with them and all this stuff. And they're like, oh, okay. And somehow they convinced me to do this shit again. And I'm like, let's finish that game. I'm like, it was finished. Like, no, we want to go in It again. is finished. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, I'm sorry. That's... <laughs> 
Whoops. All right. On Easter Day. <laughs> oh, shit. It is still <laughs> released on Easter. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Either way. Uh, well, that happened three days before then. All right. So, with that in mind, and I'm a horrible person, and I'll pay for it later. You're just going to edit it out. It doesn't matter. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. <laughs> you know you will. Probably not. Nobody else listens that I know who. Uh, so, either way. Um, with that in mind, so metagaming, and we've actually looked up the definition, and let's just say Wikipedia is convoluted as fuck. All right, metagaming and role-playing games. Oh, there's a special Wikipedia tab for that. Whoops. Whoop, whoop. Metagaming is a term used in RPGs, which describes a player using real-life knowledge concerning the state of the game to determine their character's actions, when said character has no relevant knowledge or awareness under the circumstance. Boom. I like to say it's kind of more of an out-of-character knowledge versus in-character knowledge. I mean, that's exactly what that said. Yeah. Here's, a, here's a prime example of that. Oh, here we go. And I'm not bitter. This soapbox yeah, is worn out, guys. No, this is from you. This is your fault. What? So, <laughs> I got stabbed in the face the other day. Oh, okay. Let me tell this story. Yes, okay. It. So, <laughs> Zach told me, uh, whenever we see cool D&D stuff, Zach and I always share it with each other. Zach shared with me this item and it's a boring looking telescope looks just like a telescope it has no magical properties there's nothing magical spyglass it's spyglass i call it a hand lens i can't whatever get it right. the fuck it is it, it essentially it's a telescope but you have to focus it you have to like move it around to make the image on the other end not blurry and so he found this in an abandoned building that he recently obtained with the party at i idm and it, <laughs> It was so sad because no one else is investigating this place. No one else in the party is looking through it. He's the only one. So I tell They're him. They're at breakfast and I, I ate <laughs> rations because we were saving money to start a business. He was the only one with a business mind. Anyway, he found this under a floorboard and got it. Immediately, he himself knew what it was because why the else? why else would you find a random normal spyglass that puts off no magic energy? He looked through it blurry image i told him he needed to focus it to see through it and bada bing bada boom he took one d8 piercing damage to the face yeah so for the way the mechanic works if we haven't mentioned it on this is the way what happens when you focus it a spike comes out as you put it to your eye and just stabs you in the eye i was also the healer of the group so luckily i just burned some spell slots not to die but you're fourth level i know but i'm still bitter I have a really sweet scar after that now, though. No so, one. I saw this item. As soon as she said, yeah, it looks like a little spyglass. I'm like, you bitch. Like, <laughs> I knew exactly what it was. There was no getting around it. I knew what was going to happen. And I think I was like, oh, I'm going to investigate it to see if, because I want to know why it's so valuable or why it was hidden under the floorboard is what I was going for. I rolled a one. I think. I yep, don't know. Yeah. You did. So and I'm that's, just like, cool. I remember looking at you in the face and going, you know what's going to happen next. Yeah. And I did. <laughs> so I'm like, I guess I go to the window and start spying on shit. And they're like, oh, it's blurry. I'm like, I right, focus it. And it was like, you're stabbed in the face. So I'm like, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was coming. I wasn't happy about it. But at that point, I, as a character, knew nothing about it. And that's something that you have to keep in mind. Um, it, it really, it's really hard as a dm to think like this specifically when you know a lot about monsters like you can throw a monster at me like a troll and if i've had no experience with a troll even though we've done an episode on trolls check out episode 14 15 14 14 
uh, where I know that they stop healing as, you, as long as you use, I believe, radiant or fire damage. Fire. Yeah. So I, as a char- player, know that. I, as a character, don't. So I would probably lob whatever the fuck spells I had at or to keep stabbing it until hoping it dies. So, metagaming is, as we described, somebody using outside information for in-game information. So, for me, whenever a player tries to do this, I generally ask them, why do you think your character would know that information? And I'm fully prepared to retcon if somebody does something I think is too metagamey. So, for me, it's like, oh, well, I think a prime example would be somebody knowing the weakness of a monster. Like, for example, trolls, fire, vampires, holy water, running water, anything like that. Um, with that information, I would have to be like, so I don't want to step on toes and I don't know any of these people, but there was a player in critical role for the first campaign whose, uh, character was Tiberius. His character's name was Tiberius. And so one thing Tiberius would do is he would go and do like, in this case, they were getting ready to face a vampire. He was going to prepare by getting like a flask that emitted flowing water or holy water or an endless supply of holy water that sprayed out of a bottle or whatever. It's like, okay, that's kind of cool. But I think the thing that kind of triggered me was like they were doing a shopping episode, but he never explained why he was doing it. He was just like, I'm going to go do this and get this magic item. And I think it ended up taking more time to produce than he expected. And so what I've always thought about is like, why, why do you know about that? You've never faced a vampire before. This is the first time you've come up across it. So with that in mind, I always ask the player, how do you know this? And can you prove it to me? So if they can give me an out of character or in character, like, oh, I read it in a book somewhere. Okay. Well, where did you read this book from? That's going to have information of vampires. Okay. Prove it to me. And if I don't think their reasoning is enough, I force disadvantage on the role. Yeah. If a character says, do I know anything about that? I'll be like, yeah, roll standard or something. I reserve disadvantage for punishment sometimes. I know that sounds mean, but I, try, I don't like metagamers. Well, I usually... Characters have a high intelligence or their background is in research, libraries, exploring, shit like that. I usually cut them a break. I'm like, well, roll and we'll see. Yeah. And because... um. And one of in the campaign that you're in, one of the characters is writing like an encyclopedia. They've been adventuring and writing yep. about everything they've encountered. Um, so I figure this character has just a lot of knowledge, mm-hmm. and they have a super high intelligence anyway. So of course I'm gonna let you roll for it because because this character has dedicated himself to study in their backstory. It's already established. They can know about a ton of things, but especially in that exotic. Things where no one around here has encountered this. You would have to go way, way out to do it. Like I brought in a mummy for for one uh, campaign that we were we were doing. None of those characters would know what a mummy is. Nope. No way. So stuff like that, I could totally see how that would it it kills it. It just kills the whole vibe. Yep. And that's where you have to kind of rein in those characters. And that's also a conversation you should approach with your players before you start the game. It's like out of character information is very different. There's a lot of times where we'll just kind of sit here and I'll listen to a conversation between player and DM that I'm not a part of. I might be fucking off somewhere else doing another part of the mission. And then I'll be, I'll make a comment and they'll be like, you're not here. I'm like, I know I'm just letting my voice be heard. It's kind of similar with critical where there's always that like bird. They always make bird sounds like or something like trying to get their attention. Uh, and it's kind of the birds of metagaming or whatever. And I think Matt has a good idea of how to rein that in. Matt, uh, 
Mercer. I don't know you personally, so that'd be weird. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Mercer. Uh, <laughs> knows how to kind of control that. And I think it comes to a lot of, hey, don't do that. Hey, don't do that. <laughs> Please don't do that. If not, you're, I would say you're not welcome back to the table. And it, you just have to play it as a don't push it. You don't know that. You're essentially breaking the game. It gets so old. Well, I will put in more information to Zach's TPK story. So for me, this this went a, a different kind of avenue. I was left in a demiplane. A demiplane. My character was left in a demiplane by the other character. How was your vacation to the demiplane, Jay? <laughs> it was full of nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> um, gassed. I put gassed in there. So xyz i was gonna fuck over the party my character was evil i had no qualms about doing this um so i started making arrangements and 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 plotting plots and casting spells and some characters were trying to work against the spells in a way that their character could never do it realistically and to me, that's a type of metagaming that it's just not fun. Metagaming makes the game not fun. Sometimes things are going to happen. Sometimes they're not good. They're not what you want. But it could make for a great story. And that's really the point. The point is having this really awesome story. You can go back, even if everything kind of gets shot down in flames, let it let them be flames of glory and just let it happen. Don't be the guy that breaks the game. Exactly. You want to have a story out of it and knowing too much about what's going on in and out of a game really breaks that illusion mm -hmm. and it just pulls you right back out. It's the same thing with like immersion in a video game. Once that's broken, it's no longer fun. Yeah. And the same applies to D&D. &D. So with that, we're going to break the illusion by giving you some beautiful dungeon doodles. <laughs> oh, they're great. Oh, they're amazing. So you spoke first about the goblin. So I'm going to give you my goblin doodle. Goblin doodle. Enjoy this majestic creature. That is fabulous. I love that you can see his pecs through his armor. That lets you know he's he that's that's the business. It's to show you there's texture. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. But, but it's yes. cute. I like it. Um, his <laughs> one of his ankles is broken horrendously. He got stepped on by a go boss goblin, or that's where he took a hit to the knee. <laughs> He like a swipe to the ankle, and yep. now his leg is perma-broken. His boss just put him in the way, like, mm, nope. And he has a black cap. That's supposed to be hair. It looks like a hat. It looks like he has a little David the Gnome black hat on. I was going to put him on a horse, but then I'd realize I'd have to, or a wolf, and then I'd be like, shit, I have to draw a wolf. That's, not gonna <laughs> that's just not going to happen. That's not an option. <laughs> I love it. Don't forget to put uh, where he's found. Yes, I will, eventually it's in your book i don't remember yeah so uh yeah so you can find our dungeon doodles art on instagram and it's now my turn to look at jamie's archmage twitter and facebook yeah all right i all right. drew two bonus you get three images for the price of two what? for the free price of two <laughs> so i like that you labeled it and spelled manual right this time yeah and uh these i had to look found... at a book while i did it yeah you did <laughs> we should just put mm m and m so, uh, I see on here, you've got a lovely Cthulhu-esque character. That's an illithid that is evil, I'm assuming. How dare you assume that? Well, I mean, I don't know many nice illithids. They don't seem like great people. 
and you wrote magic and then put green stars and then magic silver stars and is that a child yes that has like the most blank i'm sorry the child looks more evil than the maybe she is (sighs) i also like that i i described this as flowing fancy robes To which her response was to just draw robes and write the word fancy on them in gold lettering. It looks fancy, guys. If I didn't tell you that word was there, you probably wouldn't have even noticed it. You didn't pass it up. But yeah, it's it's very in script there and it's it's beautiful. It's, what is that called? Um, embroidery? Or embroidered. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful embroidery. Fancy mm-hmm. as hell, guys. This is the yep. cream of the crop here. I like that both of us are incapable of putting feet that face the normal direction. We still have child's feet, which are like bow-legged children. <laughs> well, the, <laughs> the, it, it, he has more of like the the peekaboo, 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 peek-a-boo like into the into the, the toes yeah. under the robes. But the child has more of a of a shorter robes on because yeah. you know kids just be walking through mud. And She's stuff. tripping on shit all the time. Tripping on shit all the time. So. I think, and that is a suggestion, is they have to be older characters. Oh, shit, you did say that. Okay. It just says generally. Fuck general. You just have a kid gifted with magical prowess, so she's she's doing great. To the umpteenth degree. 18th level caster level child. (laughs) That would be terrifying. That would be terrifying. But y'all have had to fight. I won't tell that story. That's a story for another day. Um. Leaving it in. Anyway, so you can see our beautiful dungeon doodles um, on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter at Sweet Tea and D and D all smushed together. Or if you want to just listen to our sultry voices, smooth, 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 smooth. Um, like bourbon. <laughs> we are on. Oh, God. Say it so I don't screw it up because I don't remember. Sweet tea and dnd.simplecast.com or .fm, depending on which one you want to type in. So, uh, we, it's, it's weird. It redirects either way. Oh. So, yeah, you can check us out on our website. We are available on most of your podcatchers of choice. Uh, feel free to give us a review. We have two now on Apple. I what? had to beg for one of those. So, yeah, fun times. You guys should totally do it. By the way, keep talking to us. We love the activity that we're getting. We love sending you guys memes and making you laugh and all that dress. So, yeah. Yep. So, Garrett is still doing it. No, that sounded bad. Garrett doing is... it right. <laughs> Garrett's still around. Garrett is busy. He's got a real life and we, we He's don't. moving. He's Just moving. different houses, not like, like away. Away. But he had to take care of business and be a real adult while we were over here talking about monsters. So, he yeah. can't tell us to say goodbye. So, we'll say it. Bye. Bye.